All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have ever seen the movie Braveheart? Right? Great movie. A little, uh, little violent. Uh, it's about the name of a guy named William Wallace who led his country to freedom from an oppressive English rule. He had this sense of destiny. There was personal loss in there. So he gets together this group of farmers and villagers to defend themselves against the oppressors. Um, the turning point for Scotland comes at this battle scene, the Battle of Stirling. They're vastly outnumbered and begin to flee before the battle even begins. And Wallace rides onto the scene to the band of brothers to fight for what they know, gives this passionate speech, the Scots rally and win, following Wallace into battle. Now, one of the things is that speech has become famous. William Wallace riding up and down the road. Mel Gibson played the role, doing the speech. In fact, parts of that movie, even there's a... Anybody listen to Dave Ramsey? You know, on Friday, they do the uh, freedom, right? When they're debt free. And so there are parts that have been picked up. But here's what people love about that movie. They love about really... Any kind of underdog story. You think about how many movies are underdog stories. Um, one of my favorite movies, Rocky. 1, 2, 3, 12, 18, and 24. Uh, you know, Rocky, but the original Rocky. Now, you know what? They got a little crazy in 5 and Balboa and all that. They got a little crazy. But the original Rocky was about this guy who was down on his luck, didn't have any chance, was going up against the world champ. And he just, he didn't even win. You remember that? He didn't win. But it didn't matter because he had shown this courage. In fact, um, uh, some of the guys behind uh, Pixar Media Corporation put out a quote recently that just said that a good story is about the struggle to win more than it is about the win. It's about the courage that it takes to keep going to keep moving, to keep going forward when difficulty is all around. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting is when you read the Beatitudes, there is a trait that you find that is going to be required if we're going to live as God intends for us to live. If we're going to, as we talked about last week, be who God wants us to be. And it's the characteristic of courage. Now, I don't think most people, when they think of the Beatitudes, think of courage. They think of meek, mild, poor. But in our culture, it takes courage to live that way. It takes conviction. It means standing up in the midst of a time when it doesn't seem reasonable or right. I mean, just think about what the Beatitudes kind of in, in case here. And it, it takes courage to believe that being desperate for God is better than being self-reliant. It, it is a trusting to say I'm not going to rely on myself. It takes courage to face our failure and brokenness rather than just skipping along the surface of life. It takes courage to live with an open hand than living just to grab what we want. It takes courage to pursue God's goodness and to believe that's better than chasing all the tangible prizes that people are trying to chase on a daily basis. 
It takes courage to offer mercy instead of justice. To seek purity rather than going along with the crowd. To seek peace when division would be so easy. The truth is that living the way God intends for us to live and being the people God intends for us to be takes courage. And if you doubted that, the last beatitude, make sure we understand that. Look at verse 10. Now, verse 10, 11, and 12 is the last beatitude. Even though there's going to be a couple of blessings in there, it's repeating the same thing twice. We'll talk about why in a minute. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. When you hear the word persecuted, what do you think? What The word persecuted. What do you think of when you hear persecuted? Pain? Can't sleep? Mistreated? It's not a word that American believers are real familiar with. We often try to spiritualize it and say, well, maybe rejection or not being able to participate or being ostracized. And that has a part, but here Jesus is talking about, I think, much more than that. It's kind of interesting that he would end the Beatitudes with such a heavy statement. In fact, I think he knows his audience is going to be shocked because he repeats the same premise twice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of vile things about you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Jesus essentially says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to have to have a brave heart because persecution comes to those who pursue and embrace righteousness. The question comes, why would you be considered blessed if you're persecuted? I mean, doesn't that just sound like, you know, an oxymoron, something that's not supposed to make sense? Blessed are you when you get beat up and spit upon and yelled at and made fun of and torn down. You are blessed. Blessed are you when you get kicked and beaten and shot and ostracized and imprisoned. Rejoice. Be glad about that. January 9th, 1985, almost um, 30 years ago, there's a congregational pastor in Bulgaria named Christo He was arrested and put in jail. And this is what he was arrested for. He was arrested for preaching in his church. Because in Bulgaria, in that town, there was a town commission that assigned the preachers to a church. And they would assign people that were um, sympathetic to the government and would say what the government wanted them to say. And this guy had been voted by his congregation to be the pastor but was told during the week the town had elected a new pastor. And he had the audacity to stand up in the church he was the pastor of and preach. So they arrested him. Took him to jail. They had a trial, and the trial was a travesty, and he was sentenced to eight months. 
in jail. He did his eight months, got out, and wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been freed. There are thousands of stories like that in the world today. Thousands more from the centuries of the Christian church. The lesson is simple. God says you're blessed in persecution often because God has used persecution and persecution has been turned for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of God. The point of this little beatitude is that God rules over the suffering of the church and that persecution, instead of squelching the movement of God, often fans the flames of the spiritual growth of the kingdom of God and power is brought in the joy in the midst of suffering. Now, we don't like to hear that. As Americans, especially, we don't like to hear it. But the truth is, God sometimes brings discomfort or allows discomfort or uses discomfort to spread His kingdom in ways that weren't happening previously. So you've got your Bibles open. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. There's this little thing at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that's almost like a transition statement. But it's interesting. It says, on that day, by the way, that day is the day of Stephen's murder. You remember Stephen being killed for his faith. A great persecution rose among the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Here's what's interesting. For the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, the book of Acts focuses entirely on the ministry of the apostles and of the disciples, and it all takes place in one location, Jerusalem. Nobody evidently left Jerusalem to go anywhere, any outside of Jerusalem with the gospel. Now, that was problematic. Why was that problematic? In Acts 1.8, what does Jesus tell them? You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. But they're still in Jerusalem. We're seven chapters in, and they're still in Jerusalem, and persecution comes. What happens when the persecution comes? They get scattered. Where do they get scattered? Judea and Samaria. Do you think that's coincidental? No. That's not an accident. Luke didn't think it was an accident or he wouldn't have written it that way. Luke took it that the persecution is what got them moving. One commentator said, God used fire to get them off of their rear ends. To get them going. Now we're talking about a good church, right? I mean, we're talking about the church at Jerusalem. They had some pretty good leadership. Peter and James and John and Thomas. Those are pretty good leaders, right? James, the brother of Jesus who had come on board. It's a powerful church. I mean, this is the church where the Holy Spirit first got poured out. But it seems that they're not moving outside of Jerusalem. 
They don't see the unreached peoples out there. They're not following the commandments of God. And what you must understand is God will even take the apple of his eye, the place where he pours out the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, he will do something to move them out. To make sure that this good church will begin to minister not just to one another, but to the village and to the world around them. In fact, chapter 11, 19, you don't have to turn there, shows Luke play this out even more. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so it's still the same persecution, traveled as far as Phoenicia, we're way beyond Samaria, to Cyprus off the coast in the island in the Mediterranean, and to Antioch near the Mediterranean Sea, speaking the word to none except Jews. But in Antioch they began to speak to Greeks. And immediately... The whole thing breaks open. Right? Antioch is the first church where they are called Christians. And so suddenly things start to explode. What was the catalyst? What was the thing that started it all? The persecution. It was the persecution initiated at the suffering of Stephen that got the church going. Not only to Judea, not only to Samaria, but literally to the uttermost part of the world. Out where the Gentiles are, who have absolutely no access to the gospel unless a good, happy, self-satisfied church breaks out, inconvenience itself, and begin to send the messenger. God is sovereign. And he will take. Now, I don't necessarily know that God sent the persecution as much as God used the persecution. Right? Romans 8.28 doesn't say God sends everything into someone's life and everything that goes into someone's life is good. It says that God can turn whatever we have in our life into something good. He can transform it into something good and powerful and right. And so God is sovereign in these situations. And when it seems that the church is at its most vulnerable, God uses it to grow it. Here's something else that we kind of infer from that. This blessed are the persecuted also means kind of a, you can do a corollary. You know what a corollary is? Kind of an agreeable um, counterstatement. If you're blessed when you're persecuted, uncomfortable, uprooted, you need to watch when you're settled and happy, and content, satisfied, comfort, ease, affluence, safety, security, and freedom often work against us being productive in the kingdom of God. Someone has said that comfort, ease, affluence, safety, security, and freedom often cause tremendous inertia in the church. You know what inertia is? What's that? Most, it's both, right? And that's the most important thing. You think of how depressed people are around here. And they got everything in the world you could imagine. What does it profit a man to gain the world and yet lose his soul? Part of the reason persecution is blessed is because it strips away all of those things that we think we need to be happy and reminds us, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that the only thing that matters is Him. Blessed are the persecuted. You know what's interesting is, persecution also will reach the heart 
of people that we thought were unreachable. You remember the story of Stephen, right? Who does Scripture say was there giving his approval to the whole thing? The guy who would write half of the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? It's weird. That's right. We're going to have fun with the series. I will tell you, y'all, this little tidbit. We are, there is going to be a sermon in the second service on uh, the first week in May. We're going to talk about weird sex. So y'all get ready for that, all right? Uh, that's the fourth topic. It's weird, right, Paul? That's, I know that's a strange transition. Weird, Paul, right, was there giving his approval the whole time. There wasn't anybody, if you would have asked the Christians that were around or knew about Stephen, if you would have said, who's the one person there that will never become a believer in Jesus? You know who they would have said? Saul. He never will. And you got, God used that as a kind of initial thing to begin to bend the heart. Paul. Now, the big thing was when he showed up to him on the road to Damascus, but I don't think it's coincidental that Luke writes about it, him being there. Blessed are those who have persecuted. Now, make sure you realize it's not just because you're being persecuted because you are annoying. Right? Uh, I heard about, I think it's a film called The Gospel Blimp from the 70s that told the story of a a church that decided to buy a blimp and start dropping pamphlets into everybody's yard every day. And people started to get a little annoyed and no responses were happening, so they decided to put loudspeakers on it and to broadcast as it flew over loudly every day a preacher yelling the gospel. After that happened for about two weeks, somebody shot the blimp down. And the church cried, we're being persecuted. And somebody said, no, you're just being annoying. There's a difference. Right? It's not just because you're you're <laughs> irritating. I mean, this is for the sake of Christ you're suffering. This is because you are living for Him. In fact, he says, blessed are you. I love how he says this. When others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. There are two conditions. There one is falsely. There are a lot of Christians that have gotten persecuted and were guilty. Right? They got prosecuted too. On my account. Not on anybody else's account. Not because you're just doing crazy stuff. Not because you're getting everybody mad. But on my account. And the idea here is that you're living for me in such a way that you're unlike everybody else who is not a Christian. That your life is controlled and dominated by Jesus and it's controlled by the things of heaven. It says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets, they're going to persecute you. Being persecuted for the truth brings honor. It's not just something that we have to get through. It brings honor to us. And it brings joy. Some of the happiest people in the world are people that are being persecuted. It says the reward is the kingdom of God. It talks about our reward in heaven. It's interesting that the Beatitudes start and end 
bookending with this idea of the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in between, he gives the character and the characteristic of one of God's people. He paints a picture of those that are poor in spirit, broken over the world, meek, hungry, thirsty, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking. And when we embrace God's truth, he says, we're going to be so countercultural, so different, so weird, that people are going to notice and they're going to make fun of and they're going to ridicule. And sometimes they're going to harass and arrest and upset. The truth is, the test is how we relate to those who are persecuting us. Now, here's the thing. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Even the people that find joy in persecution don't want to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be arrested, right? Beaten. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, please, Lord, let me get beaten today. This morning I was, I got away from the house a little bit late and I had a full day. I spent a lot of time because of various people in our church at hospitals over the last two or three days and and. I had a lot of work I had to get done today. So I got out and got onto Loretta, which is the main street that goes out from my house to Publix, and started driving down the road, and a guy in a white car with a blue stripe on the side passed me, and I put my hand and waved to him because I'm a nice guy. Notice that Mr. Guy in the white car with the blue stripe was, um, after he passed me, he found a nice little driveway to turn around in and began to follow me. And so I thought, well, he's going after somebody. I need to, something. he must have got a call in. He's got to go, and so I turned into a little side street, and guess what he did? I turned into a little side street, and the lights came on. Apparently, he had clocked me going a little more than I was supposed to be going on Loretta, which he has to understand. Loretta is straight downhill. It's hard to, it's hard to control the vehicle to go the proper speed limit, right? Dixon, y'all with me back there? Can I get an amen? You got, I got one right here, too, right? So he pulls in behind me, and listen, I know my I know my driving record. I know all that stuff. I know he's going to go to his little computer, and he's going to pull it up, and he's not going to see anything on there. I, I, I have never had a speeding ticket written, okay? I can't know how I carefully phrase that, right? I've, I've only been stopped. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've only been pulled over once for speeding, and that was six, that was nine years ago. So... You know, it's a clean record. I know that. He comes up to the window, and you know what? My heart is pounding. Right? Now, there is no way. I I, I am a law-abiding citizen. I, I don't, I mean, I want, when I, I have the kind of guy that, uh, and I don't say this to my heart, I'm the kind of guy that one day in Walmart, I, Susan had told me to go pick up some female deodorant, and so, you know, like sure or something, and I picked it up, and I went over to the, electronic section and they had a new video game out and I needed to test it out to see if my boys would like it and I accidentally stuck the sure deodorant in my pocket played the video game for a minute bought a couple other things walked out got in the car sat down and go what's that in my pocket and I picked up and it's the sure I haven't paid for and I went back into the store to pay for it all right I just as God made me as a rule follower right which means that he makes me preach on grace a whole lot all right so I know nothing bad's going to happen, but I'm still, he's going to go back to the computer. Something's going to come up. He's going to put, he's going to have, I've got to get my camera ready in case he handcuffed. You know, I mean, nobody wants that. But the question is, how do we react as believers? Falsely accused for the sake of Christ. 
No. So, but I did. It's a new vehicle, and the insurance card had not made it into my glove compartment yet. So I do have a court date to show them proof of insurance in May. So no no speeding ticket, no moving violations is still on the record. Um, see, now you made me lose my train of thought, Teresa. Gonna... So nobody wants that, right? How do we react when it happens? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. We don't retaliate. Scripture teaches us, right? You get hit on one cheek, what do you do? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. We start on the other. Guy asks for your, co- your uh, shirt. Give him your coat. He tells you to walk a mile. Walk two. Boy, we like those, don't we? That's going to be a fun week talking about that. That's what I'd say about Baptists. We are people that turn the other cheek, right? You know, that's one of the things... I don't, I don't want to get political, but one of the things that bothers me is about the political discourse in this country is more people are concerned about making a point than living what they're called to live. We don't retaliate. We don't become resentful, even to the action that is happening. And we never get depressed. We trust in the Lord. We find our joy in Him because He gives us the kingdom. In fact, somebody has said, let me see if I can find the quote. Here it is. When we truly give ourselves to God, what we find is that there's nothing left for others to take away from us. Our safety, our pride, our dignity, our reputations rest in His hands. We've given them to Him. In return, He gives us the kingdom of heaven. All creation made right. God is king, everything in its rightful place, relationships restored, suffering and death no more, conflict and wars ceased, everything functioning according to the goodness and the righteousness of God. So what does a little persecution here and now matter for eternity? We don't seek it out, but we don't run away from it either. And we make sure that we're living our lives. This is just the introduction to the whole sermon in a way that is countercultural, weird, and shows the world that we're followers of Him. Let's pray.